The Bible says nothing about dating. Okay? So, this is what's different about tonight. Is you just can't go to a ta- text and say, hey, here's the rules for dating. Because the dating didn't exist until... I think, I think the first time dating shows up in print is in, in 1914. Okay, so it's a modern cultural con- uh, you know, construct. But it's great. It's where you are. And so what we're going to try to do tonight that's a little bit different is we're going to extract biblical principles and try to apply them faithfully to the 21st century culture of dating at Ole Miss. All right, we're just going to give it a shot. So all that to say, look, we are just, this is going to feel a little different if you come to RUF. This is your first one. We're usually kind of preaching through a passage. But look, admittedly, this is the realm of wisdom. You're free to disagree tonight. You're always free to come disagree. Uh, I, I hope you do sometimes. I love talking about that. But man, think, reflect, push back, um, disagree, that's fine, ask questions. Um, but we're just going to do our best to kind of apply some principles, try them on, and I hope, I hope they make a little sense of what's great about dating and what's dysfunctional about it, okay? So let me, uh, let me pray. Father, I, I'm admitting that we are, um, we're moving into the realm of just wisdom tonight, doing our best. Um, to take principles from your word. We, your word is uh, living and active. It is perfect. It is authoritative. Uh, and even though quote, there's not a passage about dating, uh, your word really does apply to all people in all times. And so I pray that you'd help us to do that faithfully. And more than anything, we'd be drawn to the security of knowing Jesus Christ and his love for us. Would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, I'm going to read uh, just a few passages that we'll be referring to uh, there on your handout. And you'll see there's also some uh, quotes from Taylor Swift in 50 Days of Summer that are not God's Word, but they're actually really reflective of the truth. So. All right, 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 and 4. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Genesis 1, 26-27. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, uh, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. The image of God he created, and male and female he created them. And Psalm 118. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The grass withers, the flowers fade. Word of our God stands forever. All right, let's think about dating uh, under three. No, we're going to do four headlines tonight, actually. Y'all made me nervous. Y'all didn't laugh at my opening joke. We're, we're going to have to laugh at ourselves tonight, okay? Because we're going to make some funny observations about dating culture, okay? So I'm going to need you to laugh. We're going to look at the question of dating, the process of dating, the dysfunction of dating, and then the freedom, okay? The question, the process, the dysfunction, and the freedom. So first, the question. Look, this is Genesis 1. I, we're starting the conversation about dating by looking at Genesis 1, by looking really at who God is. Okay, and hang with me. But in Genesis 1, you see that God creates Adam and Eve. We discussed this many weeks ago, and He makes man in His image. But He says, let us make man in our image. And you get this hint of who God is, that God is a trinity. He is one, person, he, he is one God, three persons. So you could say God is, has always been a community, has always been an us. And so you and I long for a relationship, but here's the deal for tonight. 
We also are created for relationships with definition. Why? Because the persons of Godhead have a definition. There's God the Father, there's Jesus the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. And they actually have distinct roles that they carry out as they, as they create and save the world. And they live according to those definitions. Which means that you and I, created in the image of God, are not just created for relationships. We are created for relationships that have definition. All relationships beg for a definition. That's the big deal. Every relationship you're in asks the question, what are we? Okay? Because think about it. Every relationship, it is, it is healthy or unhealthy to the degree to which your behaviors and attitudes and expectations fit the definition of the relationship. But most of the relationships in your life, the definition of them are just easily recognized or even, even assumed. For instance, some of you, uh, you have jobs right now. So your relationship with your boss, you know this, is defined as an employee and an employer. So you relate to each other according to that definition, right? The employer gives direction, makes sure you get paid, you listen to the employer's instruction, you do what uh, he or she says, and you receive payment. Good, healthy relationship, right? That's the definition. But if your employer starts following you on Instagram and your friends and shows up at your 21st birthday party uninvited because, you're, because he thinks y'all are friends, it's gotten weird, right? You're like, that's, that's not what our relationship is. Or maybe, uh, maybe, think about this, maybe you play sports. And so, uh, you know, the relationship with your, uh, with your teammate is one of a teammate. That might mean that you, like, you don't have to like each other, but you're going to practice together, you're going to work out together, you're going to work towards this common goal of winning. Right? That's the definition of the relationship. So if a touchdown is scored, you're like going to run up to each other, high five, you'll like do that like jump in the air, booty touch thing you know, with, with, with each other. And that's appropriate because that's the definition of the relationship. But if you were walking through the grove and you saw a male-female teacher with a male student do the jump in the air booty touch, you'd be like, that's really strange. That doesn't feel right because it doesn't fit the definition of the relationship. And so, it's, so, it's, so there's something off. But see, when the, when the definition of the relationship gets fuzzy, what appropriate, what's appropriate and healthy becomes fuzzy. I, this is my friend Wade Rutherford. I, this is to me is why, uh, this is why your relationship with your Uber driver feels awkward. Have you ever noticed this? Because it's, it's not a taxi. So I'm like, do I sit in the front or the back? Am I supposed to be having a conversation with this guy or girl? And he's asking about my day. How much do I tell him? Or, we, you know, or do I just stare at my phone? I'm going to pay him, but it's not a taxi. Like, you don't know what to do. And this is the point. That every relationship that you're in begs for a definition. And the health of that relationship is to the degree that your behaviors and attitude honor the definition of the relationship. So the big premise for tonight, for tonight is this. The dating struggle is because we don't know how to define the relationship, and so we don't know what the appropriate expectations, behaviors, and assumptions are. Okay? And therefore, because we don't know what it actually is, or, or, we, or we don't define it correctly, we grasp for behaviors and uh, actually attitudes that I would say go against the definition. So the question underneath all the dating struggles, so here's my big suggestion, you were saying, what are we? I don't know what to do with this relationship. Does that, does that at least make sense? Give me a nod. Okay, then here we go. 
So to understand then why the struggle of what are we, what's this question of dating, here, on examine, this is where we've got to be able to laugh, okay? Especially the second part. How do people end up in relationships at all this, okay? And I'd say it normally goes in one of two ways, okay? We're going to call them the meeting at the square relationship and the six stages of dating, okay? That I've, that I've at least come to conclude. After many conversations with uh, some Bible studies with females, okay? All right, the meet, all right, the meeting at the square method. Here it is, right? One, one way that people end up becoming a couple is you're at a party and there's music. There's usually some kind of chemical substance involved and you, and you encounter somebody. Maybe you've known this person for a while. Maybe you just meet them. And there's some kind of interest and attraction. And by the end of the night, you end up in some kind of physical encounter. Okay, maybe you hook up. I don't know. The, de- the degree of what happens depends on a lot of things. The next morning forces an evaluation of your relationship. You either explicitly or implicitly say, what happened and what are we? Is this going to go anywhere further? Is this just going to be a fling? Because culture says hooking up isn't a, big, isn't a big deal, but you rightly feel connected to that person. You've been vulnerable. You feel connected. And so, whatever, you end up texting back and forth with that person. Maybe you have another night or two like, like you did the previous night until finally somebody says, okay, what are we doing? And you end up having a conversation. You end up deciding that you're dating or whatever, officially together, and it's established. People know it. You are now, whatever you call it, boyfriend, girlfriend, dating. That's the meeting in the square method, okay? The second way is what we're going to call the six-stage method, okay? Here's how it looks. Stage one, an individual notices someone in particular. It could be at a party, it could be class, it could be at RUF, right? And for a thousand different reasons, that person begins to have your attention. And so it's just a heart sparkle, it's just a fun thought, it's something like that. You... You might, you might call it a squish. And what, and what you might end up doing, like you check out that person's Instagram, right? You don't follow. You're a little disappointed that's a private account, but you're not going to follow. See, I know. You don't follow because it's creepy, right? Stage two. You in some way try to have interaction with this person. A lot of times this can be in groups, you kind of make com- casual conversation in class, you just so happen to keep running into that person in RUF, right? There's all these things that start producing these interactions, amazing, we keep ending up next to each other, right? Stage three, you begin to move to some low-key, one-on-one communication slash flirting, okay? You start liking each other's Instagram posts. You're texting some, whenever his, right, whenever his or her text pops up on your phone, you get excited. Your roommate starts noticing you're smiling when you're texting him back. And you say, no, I'm not, and yes, you are. And you start, you start, you start gravitating towards that person, okay? Others notice it. Though you haven't told anybody, it's moved from a squish to a crush, whatever y'all call it, okay? Stage four. The relationship moves to some sort of intentional one-on-one hanging out. This could be informal, like you just so happen to watch the same TV show so that you can talk about it the next day. Uh, You just happen to go to Sonic one night because whatever y'all are studying together, even though you're in the same class and you just needed a milkshake. But there's this buzz that starts happening around your friends and they're like, hey, is there like something going on between you and Sam? Or your roommates like, hey, uh... 
dude, like you and Catherine, y'all like, y'all like, like each other? And of course you say no, right? But you kind of do like each other. Or, or you take them to a date party, but you don't read into that because it's just a date party and we're just like talking or something like that, right? All right? That, that stage can last a long time. Stage five. Some version of a date actually happens, all right? It can be formal where you actually like called her and like asked her out to lunch. It can be informal where your kind of group of friends are hanging out and somehow y'all always end up having a conversation separate to everybody else and it's always till like one in the morning, right? Whoops, how did this happen? Whatever form it takes, y'all start becoming a thing. And even in, even in a group, you, you kind of begin to isolate yourself. Like you're separate from the group. The friendship feels different. It starts feeling like this is an us. And people start asking, right, hey, like, are y'all dating? Come on. And you don't know what to say. Because you're like, we aren't dating. But you talk for two hours at night and you send emojis to each other and like 20 text messages. But no, we're not dating, right? Stage six, right, here's the final one. Both of you feel the need, or both of you, one of you feel the need to say like, man, what is going on here? It could be out of frustration that somebody blurts it out. Or it actually might be planned, right? And like, you know, the guy's all nervous as he's taking you to Sonic, something like that. But the, the talk happens, or we call it the DTR. Like, I'm old. I dated Liza back in 2003. Okay, that's what we call it, the DTR. And you both put your feelings out there, right? And you both agree that you feel the same way, and you both say, okay, let's date, or whatever you call it. It's official. And then you both say we're going to take it slow, which means you're diving right in and you're spending all this time around each other and you're making out, like that's all it means, right? And after that conversation, it's official, okay? You tell your friends, she tells her friends, your relationship has been institutionalized. Boyfriend, girlfriend, dating, whatever it's called. All right, if you just follow that line, stage seven is you're either going to break up or get engaged. Stage eight is, is you get married. Stage nine is you become a widow. That's it. Those are, your, those are your stages of relationship, okay? So, all right, so think back, all right? Pull it back. Whether it's the meeting at the square method or whether it's the, you know, multi-stage method, at some point, you become a couple or you start dating. And I want to return to what we said at the beginning. Every relationship begs a definition. A healthy relationship honors the definition of that relationship. So, now that you're dating, what are we? What does, what does it mean that you are now dating? Because without a clear, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Without a cleared, agreed upon definition that's actually true to the relationship, you'll have a hard time saying these are the expectations, assumptions, and behaviors that are appropriate for this relationship. And I think unless you identify that, it's going to be hard to say this is what's going on between y'all. So that's the question behind the struggle. That's the process that gets you there. Okay, now here's the dysfunction. The dysfunction in dating is this. And man, like, I just, I'm going to say this over and over again. I'm pro-dating. I'm so pro-dating. I love y'all. There's like Aria power couples in here. All right, like, it's awesome. Because some of the things that I'm going to say, y'all are going to think I'm against you dating. I'm not. I promise. Okay? But I think this is going to help. Problem one is the assumed definition of dating, I would suggest, is actually unhealthy. Okay? Here's what I mean. I've had these conversations with students numerous times. I'm just going to clump them all together. Okay? This isn't one person in this room. 
Imagine I meet up with you, okay, and um, we'll just say it's a, it's a female, all right? And you smile and you say, I guess you've heard, right? We're dating. And I'm like, yay, right? I celebrate with you, okay? <laughs> and so um, I'm always happy for you. And so if we know each other well enough, I've had these conversations, I'll say something like, all right, so you're official, all right? You know, we talked through it, it all happened, all that. And I will say something like, okay, so what does that mean? Like, what is different today, because y'all are official, than two weeks ago? Like, what's changed about the nature of the relationship? And usually I'll say something like, well, like, we both now know that we like each other. Okay, that is a little different. Maybe you've expressed that. But you probably knew that two, two weeks ago, most likely. So what really is different? And then you'll say something like, well, we're just going to spend time, we're just going to date each other. But that was true two weeks ago. Like you were only spending time with each other. Everybody saw it. Okay, so what's different about your relationship today than two weeks ago? And you'll say something like, we're, we're committed. We're committed. And I really am for this, okay? But I'll ask, so what do you mean that you're committed? And here's where you start feeling the struggle of the definition. Because what we mean by committed is I'm in this. I'm in this for the long haul. But if four months from now, your feelings change about the guy that you're dating, or somebody else comes along that you want to date, you've got to break up. Which isn't commitment. Like, I'm not saying that's bad. And look, that's a, that's a made-up scenario, kind of. But you're saying you're committed until my feelings change or somebody better comes along. Which, by definition, isn't commitment. And so what ends up happening is that you assume that the definition of dating is that you are exclusively committed to each other in a romantic relationship. But you're just not. It's, it's not a bad relationship. It's just not commitment. One time I was a campus minister at, uh, at uh, Mississippi State. It was a Bible study at like the KD house or something. Uh, I kept pressing the question, because I could tell they were going to talk to me, what is fundamentally different in the fact that you're dating you know, this guy? And finally, one of the females, frustrating, she was frustrated with me, she said, because it's different because he feels like he's mine now. And I love that honesty. But is that true, fundamentally? Is he hers? Is he any more hers than before that they started dating? The answer is no. And this is what I want to suggest is the first dysfunction in the present dating world. You assume, and I did too, okay? Like, man, do not date like I date a lot, okay? I promise. Uh, but we assume that dating means that I'm now in this romantic, exclusive, committed relationship. And because both of you have admitted that you like each other and you decide to date, I'm trying to tell you it doesn't change the fundamental definition of your relationship before you were dating. Because before you were dating, here's what you were. Two friends that liked each other and were hoping that this relationship would grow into something else. Something more. Do you know what your relationship you know what your relationship is after you start dating? Two friends that like each other that you hope is the relationship is going to grow into something more. It's the same. Do you sense it? And you all assume dating means an exclusive committed relationship with with romance mixed in. And that's how you begin to think that, that, that you should function. But dating, by definition, is temporary. It is. 
It's either going to end in a breakup or it's going to end in marriage. That doesn't mean it's bad. It actually could be great. What I'm saying is without a covenant of commitment before God and these witnesses where you make a promise, a vow, that I will forsake all others from, uh, in, in sickness and in health until death do us part, there is no permanence to that relationship. And so before dating, you are friends who like each other but don't know whether you'll get married. After you're dating, you are friends who like each other but don't know whether you're going to get married. That's the best definition that I know. And look, I know for some of you you're saying, yeah, but Brian, you, you just don't know. Like I've been, you know, I've been dating her for two years. I know we're going to get married. I hope so. Like I, I say this with all the compassion I hope that you feel coming out of my body. But I'm telling you, you don't know. I've had former students and friends who've been absolutely sure they were going to marry the person they were dating. They were engaged. And, the, and they broke the wedding off. And they're no longer dating. And so the first problem is that we define dating as exclusive permanent commitment, which it's not. And so it's just not true to what your relationship is. You are two friends that really like each other, love each other, I don't care what you call it. And there's a sliding scale, like this relationship can grow, but you're not sure you're going to be married. Which leads to the second dysfunction. The dating relationship becomes more like a mini-marriage than it does a friendship of two people liking each other. And this makes total sense, right? Again, I was dating Liza Thompson back in 2002. I had the same fear and insecurity that's running around in me that runs down in you. Because deep down, we know, deep down you know that dating ultimately is temporary. You know it. And out of fear and insecurity... We try to make the relationship feel certain and permanent and stable. And you do it by trying to possess the person. You do it by trying to believe things that God has only given marriage into your dating life. Because anything that feels, here's the deal, anything that feels like marriage makes the dating relationship feel more secure. I promise. Because that's the design of marriage. And so it feels more secure, but it fundamentally isn't. Because it goes against the definition of what dating is, and it creates all this unhealthy stuff. So here's the premise, okay? To the extent that you bring any expectation, any assumption, any thought or behavior that is only appropriate for marriage into dating, it'll always create dysfunction. One more time. You hurt your, you hurt your dating relationship when you infuse things that, are, that God has given marriage which is a lifelong commitment till death do us part, when you infuse those into dating, you actually hurt the person you're dating. You don't help them. And I think this is hard. I think this sounds, I think this sounds crazy sometimes, okay? But I'm going to try to give you four things that are only true of marriage that we just assume bleeds into dating relationships. And some of this, I think, is such an ingrained assumption that when I say it, I don't know. It might make you mad. It might surprise you. It might push back. That's fine. I promise. I'm just asking you to pull back and see if the behaviors and expectations that you assume are okay for dating actually fit with the definition of two friends that like each other but aren't sure they're going to get married. That's all I'm asking you to see, okay? First, the assumption is this, that you think because we're dating now, you have a right to the person's time that you're dating. Right? You're, 
So it looks like this. You're thinking about the weekend, it's Friday, and you assume, oh, I'm going you know, to have a date with Sally. But then you ask her what she's doing tonight, and she says, oh, I'm actually having a girls' night with, with my friends. We, you know, we're watching a movie together. And you're kind of mad. And you kind of say something like, well, you know, I just kind of assumed we were, like we were going to hang out, go on a date. In other words, you're mad because you assumed that you have a right to her time. But why do you? Like, she's not yours, and neither is her time. Or this happens. You give him the silent treatment for a few days, and he finally, right, is sick of the silent treatment, and figures it out, and it's like, what? What did I do? And you say, like, well, I mean, you said it would be a busy week, but, like, you've hardly texted me. You've hardly called me. I mean, does this mean, like, are we okay? Do you not like me anymore? And the guy's saying, well, what? Because the assumption that never gets questioned is, well, of course I own his time. Of course he must give me a certain amount of time. But that is, that is like something that is not given in dating, or, or friendship even, which is what dating is. Second, you think because we're dating now, you have a right to the other person's body. That it's a free game to what, whatever, make out, lie down in positions together, sexual contact, whatever it is. But what never gets questioned is, do I actually have a right to the person's body that I'm dating? Because look, 1 Corinthians 7 is clear on this, that your body belongs to Jesus, and if you're actually married one day, it belongs to your future spouse. That's it, and it belongs to you. But what, what you begin to assume is that, like I did, that dating brings a different category of relationship other than friendship. So now there are things that are physically and sexually okay that now because we're, quote, dating, wouldn't have been okay before that, but now that we are, it's okay. And here's the deal. Sexual contact always makes the relationship feel more real. Like, we'll talk about this next week. Sex is designed to communicate, I'm yours. I'm in it for the long haul. And so it feels that way, but it's masking the truth that this relationship is temporary. If you ever seen the movie 500 Days of Summer, it's the best uh, uh, exploration of our dating culture, okay? You have Tom, and he's dating Summer, and they keep avoiding labels of boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, whatever. Uh, and finally, Tom, towards, you know, it's like the end of the movie, he gets so frustrated because Summer says, hey, hey, we're just friends. And this quote's on there. He says, no. Friends don't kiss in the waiting room, hold hands in Ikea, and have sex in the shower. See, Tom was saying... The way that we're acting is betraying our definition. And it was destroying them. What Tom should have said is, no, we aren't just friends, we're acting like we're married. And it's killing us. It's why Tom earlier, uh, this is the other quote, right? This is the fear of uh, dating. He says this, uh, How do I know that you won't wake up in the morning and feel differently about me? That's the fear of dating. You cannot control whether the other person is going to wake up and feel differently about you. And you feel that. And you start grabbing onto things to make the relationship feel like it's secure. Thirdly, we think because, you, because you're dating somebody, you have a right to their attention. So whatever, you're, you're out with this person and, uh, you know, uh, maybe you're at some party and you just kind of shut down. You start kind of throwing a pity party and finally he asks you, hey, well, you know, what's the deal? And you say something like, I mean... I don't know, you talked to me some, but you were also just out there talking to your friends, and 
and other people, and I just assumed that you'd be with me all night. And what never gets questioned is, like, do you have a right to demand somebody's attention? You're, de- you're demanding out of insecurity, not out of love for that person. And lastly, here's what we think. Because we're dating, and I have a right to you exclusively, that if that person ever shows an interest in another person, like, that's forbidden. Like, we'll even think about the language that, that we use. We use language of cheating, which is, which is very marriage language, right? But what never gets questioned is, I do have a right to assume that this person is exclusively mine. And what's happening in this, all the hurt and all the insecurity and all the worry and pain, and all that's real, is there's a betrayal of the definition of the relationship. That because it's temporary, because it's two friends that like each other, don't know what they're going to get married, I start bleeding things that are only true of marriage into this to try to make it feel more secure. So my friend Reed Jones, he used this illustration. He said, imagine that you're going camping, okay? And it starts to rain. And so you, you build a roof for your tent and you lift it up. And what, and, and what you set on top of your tent, your very you know, uh, collapsible tent, is an actual stable roof. When you set that stable roof on top of your tent, what's going to happen? It's going to crush everything inside the tent. Because you just put a permanent structure on top of an impermanent structure, something that's temporary. That's what happens in dating. If we make it like marriage, you're putting something that's permanent, marriage, into something that by definition is impermanent dating, and it crushes it. And so the reason that dating is one of the most confusing things that you do, and many times the most crushing things that you experience, is because you enter dating and go about it as if there's all these unspoken agreements that are true for the institution of marriage, and I pile them onto dating. And it crushes. Because I just want you to see this, that if you get married, when marriage happens, you go from saying this, I'm in it until my feelings change, when, you're, when you get married, you say, I'm in this no matter how I feel. And you make a binding covenant. That's why in marriage, arguing and fighting and whatever else, it's just not scary. I've been married to Liza for 14 years. We fight and argue more than we did our first year of marriage, definitely more than we did when we were dating. And guess what? On the other side, there's always repentance, there's confession, there's getting to know each other. But amidst all of our arguments and fighting, I've never once in the marriage like, thought that our marriage was at stake. Never. Because we've made a commitment to each other. But in dating relationships, every argument feels like the, the relationship's at stake. And so, so you're, you're scared to say something, or you're, we're always kind of walking around, or it's what Taylor Swift calls, right, it's delicate. Always analyzing everything. Is it okay that this is in my head? Is it okay that you're always in my head? Because, I, I, right, is it cool? Can I say it? Is it chill for me to say this? I mean, the temporary dating relationship, you know it's delicate. And so any misstep, any argument, any difference of opinion, it feels like the relationship's in jeopardy. And so what ends up happening is that in dating, we're plagued by fear, not freedom. So all I want to do is end with trying to give you some, again, you can reject all these. I'm happy to sit down with you. But what if there was a way that you could actually date and actually embrace freedom? I just want to, I just want to propose some things. The answer is not to throw out dating. 
The problem with dating is our, is our need for the other person to be committed to us. Our need for that other person to tell me who I am and to be my identity. And what happens over time in dating is you start knitting your hearts and your bodies together in this faux arrangement called dating in which you're, in which you're allowed to feel as if the other person's committed to you, but in reality, you're not committed. And so why not begin dating with repentance and recognition that we actually want to honor the definition of this relationship? Why not date each other, enjoy dating each other, enjoy the freedom of the relationship? That you really are two friends that really do love each other and that really are excited, but you don't ultimately know if this is going to end up in marriage. Which means things like ownership and demanded exclusivity and physical intimacy... You try to keep those out. It's a fight, okay? But you begin to recognize that those things actually bring a false sense of security. Because it, make, it makes something, it betrays the definition of what we actually are. And so I'm just trying to give you a vision of dating that doesn't actually have so much pressure to it. But that is actually free so you can enjoy it. So I'll just give you three things. Embrace that dating is a lot more like friendship than marriage. Embrace the freedom. Enjoy it for what it is. I don't care if you prefer getting to know people in groups. I don't care if you're into internet dating. I don't care if you're a person that likes to go on dates or be taken out. Whatever. Whether you like to become friends with the person first, you, however you want to do it. But dating really is friendship first. And it's friendship with a person of the opposite sex that you enjoy, that you're interested in, and you hope that's going to end in marriage. But ultimately, you don't know. So what that means is, I think you can own the fact that there's just a lot of people in this room that you could actually marry and be happy with. I promise. There's probably like 30 people you could marry and be happy with. So, so if you want to date somebody, if you want to get, uh, get married, then get to know your friends. You're, again, I said this last time, you're probably dating this person already anyway. And just, I don't know, keep getting to know them. Take them out. Look, this... I'm absolutely convinced this is why uh, the date party culture uh, you absolutely love. Because the date party is the only thing that seems to be left where you can ask someone of the opposite sex to and nobody thinks it's a big deal. Because I had to ask somebody. Ah, finally. I can actually ask somebody out and get to know them and no one read everything into it. Why is that the only context? That's, that's what I don't understand. And, and look, sometimes Christians are the worst, right? Christians will just say things like, I'm pursuing you, which sometimes make it worse because you're like, whoa, I'm a person too. I'm not like this, this animal that you're like chasing after, right? And so like, I, you don't have to know that you're going to marry somebody to ask them out. Like, get to know them. They're a friend. And I don't think you have to be scared to go out with somebody, okay? Second, embrace that if you don't own the person you're dating then you can live in the freedom that you actually are freely choosing to be interested in each other. Like, embrace that you don't own each other. In other words, this is the key. This is what's going to seem so backwards. But I think deep down you know it's healthy. Date while embracing the truth of dating that that person is not yours. You have no rights to his or her time. You have no rights to his or her body. His or her attention is not yours. You don't even get to decide who his or her friends are. You don't get to say how many times that he should text you or how excited he should be. You have no claim over that person. He or she is not your possession. They're another image bearer of God that is a friend that you're supposed to love and care, care for. So the, look, the healthiest dating relationships I've ever seen, again, take that for what it's worth, 
they've begun to think in terms not of demands and rights, but they think in terms of preferences and privileges. And they, as best they can, stay away from things that are only appropriate for marriage. And so, yeah, like, even if you've been dating her for two years, consider it a privilege that she actually wants to go out with you on a Friday night. She didn't have to. Nothing's making her. And girls, consider it a privilege that he wants to keep spending time with you. He could end it tomorrow. He has the freedom to. Keep getting to know each other. Spend plenty of time with each other. Relationship is only going to grow if you spend time with each other. But stay away from things that are only appropriate for marriage. And when those bleed in, see them and repent and ask for forgiveness. Because sometimes that means you don't blurt out all of your insecurities. Okay? Because it might be that those insecurities are things that don't need to be said. If the person you're dating wants to spend time with her friends or maybe even someone of the opposite sex, I think you should say, okay, great, have fun. Honor the definition. Feel the freedom. I tell this story all the time. It's absolutely true because one of my best friends in college, his name was Samuel. Samuel had been dating a girl for uh, two years. He was out of college. It was her senior year. He had actually already started saving up to buy the ring. Uh, He was already planning on when he was going to go talk to uh, the dad. And she actually calls him up on like a Tuesday night and says, Samuel, look, I didn't expect to make this call, but uh, I'm be honest, uh, Alan, and they both knew Alan, just called me. And Alan said that he has liked me for a long time and that he knows that I like you, but he said he'd kick himself if he never, never asked me out and he asked me out on the date. And Sam and Sam was like, and what'd you say? She's like, I said, uh, yeah, because I think he's a great guy. Samuel looked at her and said, okay, have a great time. I'll be here tomorrow. I'm still interested in you. And they talked, and he hung up the phone. Now, is that what he felt like saying? No, because my phone rang. I tell you, here's how you know. My phone, my phone rang two seconds later. I was like, hello? And Samuel was like, ha, ha, ha. Okay, here, here's what happened. And we, and, we, and we talked through it. But he had the maturity to say, I don't need to thrust my insecurities on her and betray the definition. Can't, I can't close in on her. And you know what? I'm still convinced to this day. His phone rang five minutes later, and she called him back. Because she said, after he responded that way, it took her about 30 seconds before she realized, like, I don't want to go out with Alan. And she called up Alan, and she said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm dating Samuel, and that's, that's what I want to keep doing. And, he ne- and she never went. I, I don't know what would happen if he had kind of responded in a whiny kind of way, but she just realized she preferred to be with him. And that's great. That's the way it should be. And so actually embrace that kind of freedom. And so the last thing I'll say, before I point you to Jesus, I realize this one's longer than usual, I'm sorry, is what you can ask from the person that you're dating is, this, is the same thing that you should ask for any friendship. No, I'm not telling you to be a, a, walking, a, you know, a doormat that somebody walks over. No, I'm not saying that anybody can treat you poorly. If someone is treating you poorly, quit going out with them. Quit saying yes. You don't have to keep dating them. But what you can expect from somebody is honesty and care. Because so much of the fear that controls you in dating is because you're scared that he or she might change the way that he or she feels about you. Of course. 
But at least grant each other the honesty that if, if you're dating someone and your feelings change, you're going to be the first one to tell them about that so that they don't have to sit around and worry. And you can actually trust each other. You should be kind to each other. You should be respectful of each other. If she says no to you when you ask her out, then you should respect that. I mean, that's what it looks like. You're gentle, kind, uh, loving, joyful, all those kind of things. We didn't even get to break up tons of things. You can ask all kinds of questions. But here's, what, here's how I'm ending. The Bible does not advocate like dating or courtship or arranged marriages or cyber dating because here's the deal. Scripture doesn't think that the system's the problem. Scripture says that the problem is our hearts. Okay, dating is not wrong. Dating without character is wrong. My insecurity, my sin coming into dating makes all kinds of problems. And so look, that, there is no guarantee of a healthy... There's courtship that works out in good marriage, uh, marriages. There's arranged marriages that work out. There's dating that works out in good marriages. There's also all those that work out terribly. What I'm asking you tonight is to quit trusting in a system or rules because Christianity is wrapped up in a person. A person who loves you so much that his love actually says it casts out fear and insecurity. Can I take us to Gossip Girl to end? Okay. Like, if you know who Chuck Bass is in Gossip Girl, you have, you have Blair Waldorf and Chuck Bass, and Blair, right, is popular, she's cool, um, and uh, Blair's off at NYU, and she's frustrated because people at NYU don't care that she's popular and cool, and she has all these accolades, and she's just, she's not her formal social cool self, and she feels like a nobody, and she's complaining to Chuck Bass one time about how she's a nobody, and, and uh, she says, Chuck, like, you don't understand, right, NYU is not Upper East Side, they don't care that I'm Blair Waldorf. And Chuck looks at her and says, how can you do this to me? Blair says, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm Chuck Bass. And I told you I love you. You're saying I'm easier to win over than a bunch of pseudo-intellectual homesick malcontents? You really insult me like that. She says, that's not how it is. That's exactly how it is. The next time you forget your Blair Waldorf, you remember I'm Chuck Bass and I love you. And as, as cheesy as that is, okay? And at the risk of comparing Chuck Bass to Jesus... That is actually it. Because Blair was being controlled by fear and insecurity, and Chuck was saying, hey, look at me. I love you. That's all that matters. Don't let the fear of rejection define you. And most of, us in most of you in dating relationships, you're controlled by fear. Fear of being alone. Fear he might change the way he feels about you. And 1 John says, perfect love casts out fear. Something has to take away the fear that's ruling your soul. And what you need is the deep knowledge of Jesus. The next time you need, you feel the need to make your girlfriend yours, or the next time the, that your boyfriend's love feels like your identity, you tell yourself, the Lord of this universe, the one who holds all space and time in His hands, He loves me. The Bible has no dating method for you. The Bible has the story of a king who went to great lengths to restore his relationship with you. And we're going to finish the same way we always do. It's the unwavering love of Jesus. Psalm 18 says his fear disappears as he sees the steadfast love of God. The one who set his love on you. How do you know that Jesus won't change the way that he feels about you? Look at the cross. 2,000 years ago, he took all of God's wrath for all of our sin on himself. So that now if you receive Jesus' life and death, if you're covered in him, his affections for you will never change. Because Jesus isn't dating you. He's married to you. The Lord is on your side. And that just has to give you the strength to prefer to date somebody, to be, but, but to be okay if you're not.
to hold uh, the person that you're dating with an open hand. Because that person does not say who you are. Jesus does. Wouldn't it be great if the strength of Jesus' love was that real that you could hold things with an open hand, even dating? That's an offer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, Jesus. We thank you for um, even the wisdom you give us that I hopefully still applies to dating. Um, I pray that uh, we would bring all of our fears and insecurities to you tonight and be plunged into the love of Christ. In your son's name, I pray. Amen.